welcome to Fake Redhead Talking Fast, the podcast where you can hear an opinionated Scot slash share her thoughts. I'm Cassie, the fake redhead in question, and let's get to it. Hello! You aren't dreaming! It's finally me! I'm finally back! It's been a lovely break, but now it's back to the grindstone, labouring at the coalface, turning the mill of... Yeah, I actually have to write episodes again, but it's okay! How are you all? Good, I can't hear you, so I hope you're well. And if you aren't, then hopefully you have come to the right place. Now, I got into a bit of a run of the Grishaverse, and it lost me quite a few listeners, but that is in the past, and we move on to the greener pasture of what people have suggested on Instagram. And I thought it fitting for this week's episode to come from the person for whom I care for cats, my good friend Anya. So please sit back with the tea, coffee, squash, mimosa, or that weird green thing that young'uns are drinking for clear skin, and listen to my ops on the man himself, the main dude, an incredibly cool fruit. Thank you, Dougie Adams. I promise I will talk about you soon. Mr. Darcy, hold on to your hats. I'll be honest, I have no idea where to start with old Brody McWealthy. What I do want to make clear is that this is not going to be a slagging match between Book Darcy, 1995 Darcy, 2005 Darcy and whatever other iteration of the man that may exist. I will be talking about most of them, apart from the one from Lost in Austin, which I haven't seen because the main woman's haircut and acting irritates me. Now, basically everyone and their mum knows Darcy. He's from Pride and Prejudice. Don't worry if you don't, I do love a generalised statement, so ignore me. The facts. Fitzwilliam Darcy, a man who manages to accomplish being the eminent literary hero with a name like that, is a phenomenally wealthy man. He has 10,000 a year, Mr. Bennett. That's a heckin' lot of money, guys. Okay, maybe not now, but then. And he appears in Lizzie Bennett's hometown with his best mate, when his best mate buys a house. I say house. Rich people house. Landed gentry, lots of marble and butlers that appear out of walls. You know the type. Anyway, his best mate, Mr. Bingley, is the human personification of sunshine, just the sweetest. He is instantly every mother's target, I mean ideal prospect for their daughters, even though he is less rich than Darcy. I think he's only got about 5,000 a year. Mainly because he's a nice lad. Uh, Bingley falls head over heels for Lizzie's big sister. It's a whole thing. Since we're here, let's chat about Bingley and Darcy. It is never explained how these two became friends. Beyond the fact that they were probably at Eton or Oxford or something, we have no idea how they became so tight. But man, I love a sunshiny friend and a storm cloud friend trope, so I accept it. And it actually gives us a little insight into Darcy's backstory. He must have some redeeming features for Bingley to stick to him so stalwartly. It could be argued that Darcy is domineering over Bingley's life, and certainly Bingley is fairly easily led in the whole Jane situation. But put yourself in Darcy's shoes. His best mate, who willingly puts up with your grumpy crimes, is utterly besotted with a girl who doesn't really seem to be into him. But Jane's just shy, I hear you cry. Yes, we know that, but Darcy doesn't. The wonder of reading is that we get all the angles, but the characters know such luxury. They work on the information they have. But whether Darcy saw a sweetheart of a man that socialites would take advantage of, or Bingley saw the man with the temperament of a wet cat and thought, ah yes, friendshaped. The two of them are obviously close, whether you like it or not. Now, I know you shall all be giddy with excitement when I tell you that the time has come for our first excerpt reading. I have no idea how long this episode is going to end up being, right? Because I've got a lot of thoughts and a lot of stuff I want to read because this is all brilliant. I might read it quite fast just to see. 
Anyway, I'll give you a little bit of a setting. So Darcy and Bingley and all the kind of party have arrived in Meryton, the town, and they've come to the Meryton dance or ball or whatever it is. It's Austin, I'm never entirely sure. There's always someone having a bop. Anyway, they're there and uh, Bingley's been dancing with all the girls. Well, not all the girls. He's not a player, but you know, he's been dancing um, with Jane, mostly. That's what's relevant to the plot. Um, And, you know, Darcy's not been uh, and thus the scene that follows Mr Bingley had soon made himself acquainted with all the principal people in the room he was lively and unreserved danced every dance was angry that the ball closed so early and talked of giving one himself at Netherfield such amiable qualities must speak for themselves what a contrast between him and his friend. Mr. Darcy danced only once with Miss Hurst and only once with Miss Bingley, declined being introduced to any other lady and spent the rest of the evening in walking about the room, speaking occasionally to one of his own party. His character was decided. He was the proudest, most disagreeable man in the world and everybody hoped that he would never come back there again. Amongst the most violent against him was Mrs. Bennet, whose dislike of his general behaviour was sharpened into particular resentment by his having slighted one of her daughters. Elizabeth Bennet had been obliged, by the scarcity of gentlemen, to sit down for two dances, and during part of that time Mr. Darcy had been standing near enough for her to overhear a conversation between him and Mr. Bingley, who came from the dance for a few minutes to press his friend to join it. Come, Darcy, said he, I must have you dance. I hate seeing you standing about by yourself in this stupid manner. You had much better dance. I certainly shall not. You know how I detest it, unless I am particularly acquainted with my partner. At such an assembly as this, it would be insupportable. Your sisters are engaged, and there is not another woman in the room whom it would not be punishment to me to stand up with. I would not be so fastidious as you are, cried Blingley, for a kingdom. Upon my honour, I have never met so many pleasant girls in my life as I have this evening. And there are several of them, you see, uncommonly pretty. You are dancing with the only handsome girl in the room, said Mr. Darcy, looking at the eldest Miss Bennet. Oh, she is most, the most beautiful creature I had ever beheld. But there is one of her sisters sitting down just behind you, who is very pretty, and I dare say very agreeable. Do let me ask my partner to introduce you. Which do you mean? And, turning round, he looked for a moment at Elizabeth, till catching her eye. He withdrew his own, and coldly said, "'She is tolerable, but not handsome enough to tempt me. "'And I am in no humour at present to give consequence to young ladies who are slighted by other men. "'You had better return to your partner and enjoy her smiles. "'You are wasting your time with me.' Mr. Bingley followed his advice. Mr. Darcy walked off. And Elizabeth remained with no very cordial feelings towards him. She told the story, however, with great spirit among her friends, for she had a lively, playful disposition, which delighted in anything ridiculous. Now, as first impressions go, terrible. They already thought he was proud and presumptuous and arrogant. And then to call her not pretty? Hmm... Yeah, Lizzie was not impressed. Although, the reason I like Lizzie as a character is because she's not exactly vain. But, like, later on, when t talking about Jane, she says, I could have easily forgiven his vanity had he not wounded mine. Like, that's a very self-aware heroine. Anyway, we're not talking about her. We will do soon, I'm very sorry. 
Darcy. Now, there are many, many ways to look at Darcy. Is he just a rude person? Maybe. Is he an intensely socially awkward man who really, really struggles to make friends? I think these two things can and should coexist. I saw a post recently um, discussing why someone preferred the 1995 um, adaptation of Pride and Prejudice over the 2005 one. And one of their main things was that Darcy was depicted as like a shy, socially awkward, you know, it was all excused. Now, that is a very interesting point of view that I had not taken on board. But as I say, I think the two things can coincide. That's not to say just because he's socially uncomfortable, doesn't, you know, mesh well with people he doesn't know, that he's not accountable for how he acts towards them because he was heckin' rude. But you also need to, you know, extend a measure of grace. This is the thing. Unless someone is doing something actively heinous that they are aware is actively heinous and they're doing it because it's heinous, you know, a little bit of, you know, character kind of... No words. I've, I've run out of script. I'm now ad-libbing. But you basically, you just have to look at a character as a whole. Darcy, the way he interacts with Bingley, even with Bingley's very pushy sister, who really, really wants to marry him, who he is not that jazzed about. Um, and all of them, even to a certain extent, Jane, you know, he's polite enough. I mean, obviously it's Regency England, they're all polite enough. But he does obviously have a massive amount of loyalty to this people and no one more than his little sister Georgiana. It's difficult to discuss Georgiana without spoiling quite large parts of the book because I would absolutely hate to spoil it for anyone who hasn't read it. Which is really weird because you know it's been around longer than Shadow and Bone and I was just dishing spoilers out then. Anyway, Georgiana is Darcy's little sister by quite a fair margin, I believe. I think she's only 16 and he's, well, I don't know, mid to late 20s, something like that. Anyway, he is very close to her. Both their parents are dead, so they're both orphans. And he has taken on, very naturally, a protector, guardian, teacher kind of role for his sister. He pays for all her classes and, you know, everything that she needs to carry on with being a good young Regency lady. Um, how do I put this without spoiling it? Georgie, Georgie, Georgiana's a long name, okay? Georgie was very nearly married to someone extremely unsuitable who was only marrying her for her inheritance. Thankfully, Darcy found them and stopped it and everything. He is fiercely defensive of his sister, incredibly protective and just, you know, adores her. And it's, really sweet we get we unfortunately only get quite small snapshots of the two of them together but they are incredibly sweet and I really liked the characterization of them in the 2005 Pride and Prejudice their brother and sister camaraderie but also because Darcy is that bit more of a father figure it's it's just a really interesting bond and also it's really funny there's this scene where Lizzie comes to Pemberley and it's obvious that Darcy's just been gushing about her to Georgie because she gives him this hilarious side-on smile when they're chatting and he's just like shut up shut up shut up stop telling my crush I talked about her it's so funny now the book is called Pride and Prejudice and it's a very title it's a very good title it works very well and in the outset of the book and although they both have elements of either thing Pride and Prejudice Lizzie and Darcy Darcy really carries pride. 
there is a big moment. Big moment. Oh, things, I'm really torn because like loads of people know what happens in Pride and Prejudice, but I really don't want people who don't know to be put off reading it because I told them. Anyway, big moment happens between him and Elizabeth. You, you must know that they get together. But if you don't, again, that's fine. I'm very sorry. Anyway, big moment between the two of them. He basically flat out insults her family and her whilst also trying to make a very important declaration. It is hilarious. He meddles in Bingley's life. I mean, with with good intentions, but it is meddling. Um, Because he's convinced that Jane isn't as in love with Bingley as Bingley is with Jane. And so he convinces Bingley, like, dude, you gotta leave. She's leading you on. Like, come on, we gotta go. So they pack up Netherfield. They all leave. This really fuels Elizabeth's hatred of him. Like, wow, she is not impressed with him at all. And she absolutely rips him a new one. It's hilarious. It's one of the best scenes in the book, any of the shows, and the film. Just perfect. 10 out of 10. So good. So he does carry a lot of that pride with him. He, he, he describes it himself. His good opinion, once lost is lost forever there's very little wiggle room with Darcy it's wrong me once you're dead to me kind of thing I think the only person with whom he extends that is Elizabeth she's the only person exempt from that because he's going around offending people left right and center just by like not talking to them and kissing the ground they walk on anyway but that's how he is with people and that you know leads to a lot of tension in the book, a lot of miscommunication and, and lies and betrayal. Oh, it's so good. You've got to read it. There's so much in there. And the great thing about Darcy's characterization is that he's not just left like that. Lizzie doesn't fall in love with him like that. He grows and he changes. Now, Lizzie doesn't change him. I feel like this is quite an important distinction, right? At no point in the book does Lizzie go, well, maybe I can make him nice because he's hot and he's rich. Lizzie is very much, I will marry for love, no more, no less, and sticks to it. He changes through the book. And it's only once he has proven that he has learned from his mistakes that Lizzie begins to think, you know what? He's nice, loyal, and got a big house. I could, I could, I could, but maybe it's not so bad, you know? Obviously, it's a lot more effusive and poetic and lovely, but I'm paraphrasing. He grows, he changes, he allows the things that he sees, the actions that he takes to mould him into a better person. I mean, this is not to say that introverts, people who are introverted and quiet, are wrong or bad or broken or need fixing. They don't. He is not a bad person because he's an introvert. He's a bad, I mean, he's not even, a, he's not he's a bad person, but he has absolutely no social awareness. He doesn't try. Anyway, I'm getting confused because again, I'm not on script. This is why you listen to Fake Redhead Talking Fast to me. Absolutely waffle. And I told you we'd get here one day. It was all polished and nice for too long. And now we're here and you just have to live with it. Sorry, that got really confrontational. Anyway. Okay, so a situation occurs. Someone that Lizzie and Darcy both know mutually and have very, very different opinions about turns out to be a bit of a wrong-in, much to Lizzie's kind of dismay and general kind of pseudo-embarrassment. 
after, oh, I'm just going to say, I'm sorry, guys. Darcy proposes to Elizabeth. That's when he insults her family and everything. She gives him a hard no, says, <laughs> I think not. And uh, he sulks off. The reasons she highlights are, you're rude. You insulted my whole family. You upset my sister. And you're rude about this other person. Yeah, see that? An air of mystery. And he's like, oh, oh, so that's how it is. You think he's all that? Mm-mm, I think not. Again, I'm paraphrasing. In the book, he basically just sulks off. Anyway, uh, in the next few days, the next day, he sends her a letter. Now, I, I'm looking at it and it's really long, guys. It's a really, really long letter. Uh, so I don't know if I'm going to read it. I might read the, the, the very last bit. Uh, yes, I'll read the very last bit because then that doesn't spoil all of it. Sorry, I'm literally doing this as I'm recording. At first, Elizabeth's like, no, I won't read it. I don't care. I don't care what he thinks. I'm done with him. And then she's like, no, I must. So she does. And Darcy outlines everything in this letter. His reason for meddling in Bingley's life, why he's so against this other person, like everything. He tells her things that happened in his personal life that he didn't have to tell her. He did it to be open with her, to be honest, because he realizes that, ah, actually I've messed up here. She already thinks I'm rude and I've just been treating this guy horribly with no kind of context. He understands where she's coming from but he explains the whole situation he doesn't do it with any kind of ha ha I told you so he doesn't do it with any kind of superiority and in fact I'm going to read you the last paragraph of the letter so you can truly get an idea of its tone this madam is a faithful narrative of every event in which we have been concerned together. And if you do not absolutely reject it as false, you will, I hope, acquit me henceforth of cruelty. I know not in what manner, under what form of falsehood he has imposed on you, but his success is not perhaps to be wondered at. Ignorant as you were previously of everything concerning either, detection could not be in your power, and suspicion certainly not in your inclination. You may possibly wonder why all this was not told to you last night, but I was thought not then master enough of myself to know what could or ought to be revealed. For the truth of everything here related, I can appeal more particularity to the testimony of Colonel Fitzwilliam, who from our near relationship and constant intimacy, and still more as one of the executors of my father's will, has been unavoidably acquainted with every particular of these transactions. If your abhorrence of me should make any of my assertions valueless, you cannot be prevented by the same cause from confiding in my cousin, and that there may be the possibility of consulting him. I shall endeavour to find some opportunity of putting this letter in your hands in the course of the morning. I will only add, God bless you. It's a really good letter, guys. In the course of it, he apologises for his actions. He gives detailed and helpful explanations as to the situation. And just basically admits where he was wrong. And gives information in a very non-snobby way. I could go on and on about this. Anyway, there's a whole further situation that's tied up to this. 
and it all culminates in them seeing each other again. Now, he says very important words. He says, if your feelings are what they were last April, tell me so at once. And if they are, you will never hear from me again. That's right, people. There is a reason that this man is so much better than Heathcliff. I'm really sorry, Jake, if you're listening. I know you really like Wuthering Heights. Because he says, listen, if you still, after everything, don't like me, you are under no obligation to, but if you still don't, then please let me know. You will never see me again. A man for whom, if you tell him no, he will hear no, not convince me. That's just what romance is made of, people. There's nothing nicer than a guy who respects your opinion, honestly. I find that very important. I'm not going to lie. I'm taking a lot of this from discourse I've seen on the internet. These people are wise. I, I, get, I understand vibes and like, you know, stuff like that. I, I can't put things into words. I just really like him. He learns from his mistakes. He's not the eminent literary hero. He is not the big, big shot kind of romance classic guy because he's awful. He's kind, willing to learn. He's really, really loyal, generous to a fault. And once you read the book, you understand how generous. He's not one of these people that the heroine falls in love with just because he's broody or broken or, I don't know, needs someone. Jane Austen was way ahead of her time. You've got people writing romance books now that don't have this level of dynamic. So much nowadays is still about redeeming them, making them better people. And I'm all for that, but it's got to come from them. There's too much of the woman will fix him, the woman will motivate him to be a better person. That's fine, she can motivate him, but it is not her responsibility. Darcy acknowledges that. He's like, she's brought up some really salient points and I need to sort myself out. And does. As it happens, Lizzie by that point is not particularly opposed to him. Uh, And, you know, I think it's comfortable to say it all ends happily ever after, which is just really nice. I think he's one of the most interesting characters, male characters, written by Jane Austen. And I love most of her characters. Like, honestly, all of them are so intensely fascinating. I love the playfulness of Mr. Tilney, the wisdom and candour of Mr. Knightley, the flippin' patience of Captain Wentworth... I don't know enough about Edward Ferrers to really give you an opinion. I've watched the film, but other than being played by Hugh Grant, he's not, I don't see that he has a lot going for him. But please don't come for me. I'll read the book and then I'll 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 know him more. But all of her all of her heroes and heroines are different. They're all complex. They're not just the same relationship over and over and over again. That's why you can comfortably have a favorite one because they're not all just the same. I would like to finish by reading this funny little thing I found on uh, the internet, on Pinterest. It's really quite funny and made me giggle. It's from the Tumblr user Indigo Blue Sand. I do not use Tumblr, but on the off chance that you're listening, all creds to you. They say, I personally find Pride and Prejudice inspirational because Mr. Darcy is the most awkward social train wreck of a human being ever created. He's in his 30s and doesn't know how to talk to girls. 
but he ends up marrying his crush, an extroverted and very intelligent Ten, despite her fully hating him for 70% of the book. I respect that. Such a good character, guys. If you haven't read it, I honestly beseech you to do so. Yes, the uh, classic reading is difficult. They use a lot of weird sentence structure that's incredibly unfamiliar to us nowadays. There is no shame in spark noting, if that's a thing that people can do, or of trying to put it in layman's terms, or I don't know if they do an urban, not an urban dictionary, that's not what I mean, like a modern day translation of Austen, which they totally should, because I think that would open up to a lot more audiences. But I would really beseech you to read one of Austen's works. I've already t- spoken about Northanger Abbey. I will probably speak about Emma soon because I love that one. But she's a really clever writer. She's ahead of her time. Yes, she wasn't commenting on the big social issues, but she had the intricacies of human nature down pat. You cannot falter on it. And so that is it. Some of my thoughts on Mr. Darcy. He is one of the most famous characters ever to come out of literature. He is mentioned in so many pieces of pop culture. He's everywhere, guys. And now you know some of my thoughts on him. Big fan, held accountable for his mistakes, and rectifies them. We love that. Really sorry that this episode has been so chaotic. I've stuttered. I've messed up my words. I've had long pauses while I try and bring my thoughts together. I'm really, really sorry. I did have a script for like the first two minutes and then realized that I had not written enough and just ad-libbed basically it just ad-libbed the whole thing and I'm really sorry but I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Fake Redhead Talking Fast. As a side note I want to make clear this book is Elizabeth's. Elizabeth Bennet is the main character and no one is taking that from her. It's primarily from her perspective although it's not um first person it is third person that follows her. She is the main character and boy is she a good one. Also one of the most interesting well-written characters in all of literature. Also incredibly famous. They're suited perfectly and I am very likely going to, I might start a little series or do a little episode uh, about my favourite literary heroines because I'm beginning to you know build quite a quite a little list there but I just wanted to make it clear that although I talk about you know I've done it before with Jane Eyre, I talk about Mr Rochester it's the ladies' books. These are the women's books. And boy, do they do it well. So eternal love for Lizzie Bennet. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this episode of Fake Redhead Talking Fast. I'm really sorry it's ended up being quite so long. I know normally that my podcast episodes are shorter than this. So thank you so much if you've listened to it all the way to the end. I'm now talking really, really fast to try and get this in in some semblance of under half an hour. But yes, thank you so much. Uh, you can reach out to me at Redhead Fast Talk on Twitter. Give me any of your thoughts on what I've t- talked about today, talked about in the past, what you want me to talk about, anything cool that you think I should see. Just anything. Reach out to me on there and I will try my best to get back to you. Thank you all so, so so much for supporting this podcast thank you Anya for the suggestion of talking about Mr Darcy and my thoughts about him it was not basic at all and I'm hoping people loved it and thank you everyone for continuing to listen to me so until the next time stay safe and I will speak soon